0: The following audio is from Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel can be found at our website, myemanuel.net. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in, you know his love.
1: Amen, this I know with all my heart, his blood has paid my ransom. Well, this morning, um, I'm continuing a sermon that I started last week. Those of you who were here last week, you may remember, we started it, the title of it was Creation Faith in an Evolutionary World, and I kind of told you, well, that's just part one, there's a part two coming, and this morning's part two, but I realize it's been a long week, And some of you don't even remember your middle name this morning. And some of you weren't with us last week, so what I'd like to do just very quickly is I'd like to rehearse what we talked about last week in last week's Bible study. Now, the, the whole series in 2022 is going to be about faith, okay? This is, creation, this is creation faith in an evolutionary world, but the Bible talks about faith. It talks about a lot. You cannot claim to understand any of God's Word if you don't, under, if you don't understand what it has to say about faith. And so what I told you is there's some verses that you just have to know, right? One of them is Isaiah 7, 9. It says that if you don't stand firm in your faith, you won't stand at all. And what that really means is there's going to come a day when things are going to get really bad. Maybe some of you have already experienced a day like that. There's going to come a day when things are going to get really bad. If you don't have any faith in that day, you're not standing in that day. You're going to get wiped out in that day. If you don't stand firm in your faith you won't stand at all. One of the verses that I said you should know is Romans 14:23. Uh, the Apostle Paul says there, he says whatever doesn't proceed from faith is sin. This is why this verse is so important for us. If we get the idea or some people have the idea that uh, I don't murder, I don't commit adultery, I don't steal, I don't lie, I'm keeping the commands, I'm a pretty good guy. The Bible goes on to expand on that. Those are just like, those are the bare minimum of things. The Bible says whatever doesn't proceed from faith is sin. The the whole thing we're going to read later today, your whole salvation is from faith to faith. It's all about faith. It's not about you keeping the commands. You can't keep the commands. That's why Jesus went to the cross, because you couldn't keep the commands. You, you couldn't be good enough to gain entrance into heaven, so it's all about faith. And that's what Romans 14.23 teaches. And then there was a verse, Hebrews 11.6. If you have a Bible this morning, I'd love for you to join me in Hebrews 11. We're just going to be there for a short time. We're going to go to another passage, but I want you to see it. I want you to see it with your own eyes, and I want to, I want to put it together with Hebrews 11.3. Uh, Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God, but it has a context, And the context is important so that you can understand your faith. In Hebrews 11, verse 3, the Scripture says, by faith, almost all these verses start that way, by faith, we understand that the universe was created. Your Scripture doesn't say, by faith, we understand that the universe evolved. It doesn't say that. It says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Um, last week we talked a little bit about Darwinism, scientific materialism. The idea is it was made out of nothing. They didn't; it didn't exist before that. God made the universe out of things that didn't exist. There wasn't a law of gravity before the Big Bang. God made it. He did it all. Then in verse 6 we read, and without faith it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to him, how do we draw near? By faith. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, now, Jesus talks about this all the time. He says, Whoever asks, you'll be answered. Whoever seeks, will find. Whoever knocks, the door will be opened to you. He says this over and over again. But how are you going to call on the one? that you haven't heard about. You have to believe that he exists. You have to hear the gospel. And Romans 13 says, and how are you going to have faith if you haven't heard? And how are you going to hear if someone doesn't teach you? And, and that's my role in church life. I'm a Bible teacher. So even though we're going, to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about evolution some, we're going to talk about Freudianism, we're going to talk about Marxism, I, I'm, I'm not a political guy. I have a degree in that, but that's not what I do here. If, if it, would you come every week to hear me talk politics? I wouldn't. I wouldn't come to hear me talk politics. We come to open up God's Word because God's Word is living and active and sharp. God's Word is alive. God's Word is what has the ability to make this change in our lives. So we study God's Word and we discover that it's going to move us to faith. As it moves us to faith, where does Satan want you to move? He wants you to move away from faith. And so we find ourselves in this conflict. And the conflict is uh, Satan and God. And you and I, it's about our faith. I read to you last week, 1 Timothy 4.1. Listen to it again. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. It's, it's, it's an attack on your faith. Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, the teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. I read to you from uh, Ephesians 4. The, The passage in Ephesians 4 is about the church, and he gave some to be apostles and some to be pastors and teachers for the building up of our faith. It says in verse 13, 12 and 13, I want to read from verse 14. So that our faith is built up so that we are no longer children tossed to and fro, by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, or by the craftiness in deceitful schemes. Flip over to verse 17. Well, in my Bible, I flip over. Maybe it's just further down in yours. He says, now I say and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles. How do they walk? They walk in the futility of their minds. Listen to the description. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of ignorance in them and the hardness of their hearts. They've become callous and they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This is the futility of their minds. So so the, the world is in this uh, great spiritual conflict and the great spiritual conflict ha- has uh, all these other issues that you hear about all the time. So last week... I, I named names and I talked about Darwinism and the idea of Darwinism has now been expanded to scientific materialism and it doesn't need God. It's a, it's a, the end result is atheistic. It's, it's an attack on God. It's an attack on our faith. I talked about Freudianism. The, the idea, Freudian's idea that you shouldn't repress anything sexual at all, that'll mess you up if you repress it, has now evolved to such a state where nobody represses anything sexual and we endorse everything sexual. And every sexual identity has to be endorsed now. And that's where we are. Two weeks ago, I read an article, USA Today. The article is, not everybody who has sex with a minor is a pedophile. That should just make you want to throw up. How do we get there? We got there because uh, I, if I, I can have sex whoever I want, I can have sex with any woman I want. If I can have sex with any woman I want, I can have sex with any man I want. If I can have sex with any man I want, it doesn't matter what his age is. So we got there. <clears throat> we just decided there wasn't any parameters. And the, and the worst thing in the world would be for me to repress my sexuality. It's Freudianism. It's an attack on faith. It's an attack on God. And then I talked about Marxism. And uh, Marx, he uh, his original thesis was that this Marxism would just be spontaneous combustion. That the world, the proletariat of the world, would all rise and they would want the stuff from the ruling class, and it would just happen. You didn't even have to you didn't have to do that. Except what, except it never happened unless it happened artificially. So what you had to do was you had to create anarchy, you had to create shortage of supplies, you had to create a lawless world, and then you can move in with totalitarianism and go, we'll save you and we'll take over. And and that's an atheistic process. So last week I uh, pointed fingers and named names and if I only could do that, if I could only support that with one passage in the Bible, last week, Colossians chapter 1, then it would be, it'd be legitimate for you to go, hey, Paul, I think you are just talking politics. So this week, what are we going to do? We're going to look at the scriptures again. And I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 1. If you're gonna be a guy who Peter says you should be able to defend your faith, you should be able to give an answer in season and out of season, then you have to know Romans chapter one and you gotta know something about it. Now, while you're turning there, let me tell you a little bit about Romans. Romans is singular in all of the New Testament in this regard. All the rest of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, he was writing to churches, he was writing back to churches that he'd already been to, most of the ones he had started. So he started them, He built them, he taught them, he left them. They had questions or they had troubles and he wrote a letter back to them. But Romans is different. In Romans, he's writing a letter forward to a church he's never been to yet. And the reason he's writing them is he wants to take the gospel in a missionary endeavor to Spain, and he wants the church at Rome to support him. Now, if you're a church and a missionary wants you to support him, you want to know that you and the missionary believe the same stuff. And so Romans is singular in the New Testament in this regard also. It's the most systematic of all the theologies. What you get in the, in the other letters is Paul writing a letter back, and he's just answering this question or that question, and they are, they're all different in different places. But here, he writes a more systematic theology so that the church at Rome will go like, well, that's what we believe too. Yes, we will support you when you go to Spain. Well, when he writes that systematic theology, where does he begin? He begins with faith, and he begins with a pretty good description of the battle for your faith. Will you begin reading with me in verse 18? Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, because the battle is about truth. It's about Faith—it's—it's it's Satan against God. It's not just what you think it is on this on the surface. Verse nineteen: For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them for His invisible attributes. Now, the wor- the word "invisible" means what it, you think it means. It's it's invisible. You can't see God, but he he's there. He has some attributes. Paul's going to name two of them. His invisible attributes, namely, number one, his eternal power, and number two, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived. You could say clearly understood, clearly seen. These are, these are clear to us. How are they clear to us? They've been clear to us ever since the creation of the world. Doesn't Your Bible doesn't say ever since the evolution of the world. Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God, they didn't give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So verse 24 says, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to the impurity to dishonor their bodies among themselves because verse 25, they exchanged the truth they didn't want the, they didn't want to think there was a god there was a god that existed there, there was a god who was a creator they exchanged the truth about god for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever and all god's people said amen so here you have it the invisible attributes of god are not so invisible Because they're recognizable in what God has done. He's created the world. And whether you just go camping on a starry night, you look up into the sky and go, look at that sky. Or whether you're looking at little wildflowers, or whether you're looking at the, just the animal biology of elk and deer and moose and mountain lions and grizzlies, and well, no matter what part of the world you look at, whether you're looking at the mountains or the oceans, it's evident by its design that there's a creator there. So the denial, hang with me, the denial of God's eternal power and his divine nature stand opposed to faith to to deny that it's not just a it's not just a scientific debate that's not what it's about it's bigger than that it's deeper than that it's about the undermining faith it is this is why you this is why you you read all the time that this evolutionary biologist is an atheist because it's the natural it's the natural progression of not needing a god not wanting a god and coming up with another reason for the world And yet God says, you really have to put the blinders on to come to that conclusion because I am everywhere. Now, one of the things I said last week, and I'm going to just keep saying it every week is I'm a Bible teacher. Not going to be a lot about science here, but this part is about science. It's about the creation. How do you really know? I want you to turn your attention to the screen and see what this man has to say.
0: In 1966, Time magazine ran a cover story asking, is God dead? The cover reflected the fact that many people had accepted the cultural narrative that God is obsolete, that as science progresses, there's less need for a God to explain the universe. It turns out, though, that the rumors of God's death were premature. In fact, perhaps the best arguments for his existence come from, of all places, science itself. Here's the story. The same year Time featured its now-famous headline, the astronomer Carl Sagan announced that there were two necessary criteria for a planet to support life, the right kind of star and a planet the right distance from that star. Given the roughly octillion planets in the universe, that's one followed by 24 zeros, there should have been about septillion planets, that's one followed by 21 zeros, capable of supporting life. With such spectacular odds, scientists were optimistic that the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, known by its initials SETI, an ambitious project launched in the 1960s, was sure to turn up something soon. With a vast radio-telescopic network, scientists listened for signals that resembled coded intelligence. But as the years passed, the silence from the universe was deafening. As of 2014, researchers have discovered precisely bubkis, not a zilch, which is to say zero followed by an infinite number of zeros. (laughs) What happened? As our knowledge of the universe increased, it became clear that there were, in fact, far more factors necessary for life, let alone intelligent life, than Sagan supposed. His two parameters grew to 10, then 20, and then 50, which meant that the number of potentially life-supporting planets decreased accordingly. The number dropped to a few thousand planets and kept on plummeting. Even SETI proponents acknowledged the problem. Peter Schenkel wrote in a 2006 piece for Skeptical Inquirer, a magazine that strongly affirms atheism, in light of new findings and insights, we should quietly admit that the early estimates may no longer be tenable. Today there are more than 200 known parameters necessary for a planet to support life, every single one of which must be perfectly met or the whole thing falls apart. For example, without a massive gravity-rich planet like Jupiter nearby to draw away asteroids, Earth would be more like an interstellar dartboard than the verdant orb that it is. Simply put, the odds against life in the universe are astonishing. Yet, here we are, not only existing, but talking about existing. What can account for it? Can every one of those many parameters have been perfectly met by accident? At what point is it fair to admit that it is science itself that suggests that we cannot be the result of random forces? Doesn't assuming that an intelligence created these perfect conditions in fact require far less faith than believing that a life-sustaining Earth just happened to beat the inconceivable odds? But wait, there's more. The fine-tuning necessary for life to exist on a planet is nothing compared with the fine-tuning required for the universe to exist at all. For example, astrophysicists now know that the values of the four fundamental forces – gravity, the electromagnetic force, and the strong and weak nuclear forces – were determined less than one millionth of a second after the Big Bang. Alter any one of these four values ever so slightly, and the universe as we know it could not exist. For instance, if the ratio between the strong nuclear force and the electromagnetic force had been off by the tiniest fraction of the tiniest inconceivable fraction, then no stars could have formed at all. Multiply that single parameter by all the other necessary conditions, and the odds against the universe existing are so heart-stoppingly astronomical that the notion that it all just happened defies common sense. It would be like tossing a coin and having it come up heads ten quintillion times in a row. I don't think so. Fred Hoyle, the astronomer who coined the term Big Bang, said that his atheism was greatly shaken by these developments. One of the world's most renowned theoretical physicists, Paul Davies, has said that the appearance of design is overwhelming. Even the late Christopher Hitchens, one of atheism's most aggressive proponents, conceded that without question the fine-tuning argument was the most powerful argument of the other side. Oxford University professor of mathematics, Dr. John Lennox, has said, the more we get to know about our universe, the more the hypothesis, that there is a creator gains in credibility as the best explanation of why we are here. The greatest miracle of all time is the universe. It is the miracle of all miracles, one that inescapably points to something or someone beyond itself. I'm Eric Metaxas for Prager University.
1: I take the time to show you the video to make a singular point. It's all right there. Whether you're casually looking at the sky or the wildflowers, or you want to dig deep into quantum physics, It's all right there. The invisible attributes of God can be clearly seen, his divine nature and his eternal power, so that to not see it, to blind yourself to it, is really an attack. It's not a scientific debate in a sense. It's an attack on faith. You might say, Paul, you're just going to try to convince me with a five-minute video? Here's what I want to tell you. If the video were an hour or two hours, it would be more convincing. Without the sun being the size that it is, there's no life on earth. Without us being the right distance from the sun, there's no life on earth. If the sun wasn't the age that it is, there'd be no life on earth. If we didn't have a moon, there'd be no life on earth. You can just go on and on and on. It's ridiculous to think you're going to flip a coin 10, what did he say, quintillion times and get heads every time. There's a point where the logic of it is defied unless you say there's a designer, there's a creator, And to be so vehement that there's not a creator, that we can't teach our children this, is an attack on our faith. That's what I want you to see. Now, if that's all we read in Romans chapter 1, that would be powerful, but Paul doesn't stop there. There's another paragraph here, and I want you to read it with me. I want to begin in verse 24 now. Says, therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, and to the dishonoring of their bodies between themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who's blessed forever. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women, and they were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. So what we discover is when Satan attacks faith, he doesn't just attack the cross. Do we need the cross? Is the cross the pinnacle of our faith? Absolutely. Without the cross and without the shed blood of Jesus, I don't have the forgiveness of sins and neither do you. We're not redeemed from our sin. We we, we don't have heaven as our eternal home. We're not forgiven. We don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. There has to be the cross. There has to be the empty tomb. But the idea that faith only attacks the cross is is to be, it's naive. If the cross is the pinnacle of our faith, the creation and God's design is the foundation of our faith. How did God design us? If we took the time, we went back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, it says that he created them male and female. When you read it reiterated just a few chapters over in chapter 5, it says he created them Male and female. When you read about Noah putting animals on the ark, it's very interesting because after they get off the ark, they have to procreate. And so, what kind of animals did he put on the ark? Two of each kind male and female. When you read Jesus being questioned about divorce in Matthew chapter nineteen, and they say, "Can we get divorced for any reason?" He says, "Didn't you read that God, the God who created them in the beginning, created them male and female?" I can't believe I have to preach this, but you need to know that the the denial of a designed, commonsensical sexuality. Stands opposed to faith. I think it would be better if we were all born and raised on the farm, huh? There's some basics here. Biology teacher at Colorado University has been fired for saying there are only two genders. Because uh, because a, a woke world wants to tell us that we have the whole myriad of, of unicorn genders. And if we don't go along with it, then we're hate-filled. But what I want you to understand is this whole idea is aimed at your faith, that God is a creator. Does the clay get to say to the potter, Hey, I don't like that you're making me this way. If God's the creator, then He also, if He's the designer and the creator, He also has the right to say, This is what I designed you for. This is how it works. I'm the one who created biology and anatomy and physiology and all of the stars and the suns and the gravitational forces. He did all of that. As a matter of fact, there is one part of the video that I showed you that I disagree with. Do you want to hear what it is? He said, last phrase, that the greatest miracle is the universe. You're the greatest miracle. The universe was created for you. Can you believe that? It's because God imprinted his image on you while you were still in your mother's womb, before you were born. You see, uh, mankind, humankind... We're not like the deer and the moose and the elk. We're created in the image of God. So there's a divine spark in every human life. Let me say it. I don't want there to be any uncertainty. I believe in the sanctity of human life. And you, every baby born, every baby conceived, is the greatest miracle of all. And the reason God would send his own son, he didn't send his own son to die for Neptune or Pluto or or Jupiter. He sent his own son to die for you that's what we're talking about that's your faith if this passage in romans ended there it would be powerful right i mean it's a complete uh, it's a, it just completely demolishes evolutionary thought completely demolishes freudianism but it doesn't stop there look at verse 28 he continues to the end of the chapter and since they did not see fit to acknowledge god god gave them up to a debased mind To do what ought not to be done. They're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. They're gossips and slanders and haters of God, insolent, haughty, and boastful. They actually are inventors of evil disobedient to their parents, they're foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. And though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. And we come to this last ism. We come to this last kind of thought. And so once again, because Marxism doesn't work like it's supposed to work, like Marx said it would work, where we would just all naturally rise up and then we would, we would all get the wealth and then we would share the wealth and then we would sing kumbaya and we would live happily ever after. Because it doesn't work that way, Marxism, socialism can only work if they take away the infrastructure of law if they take away the infrastructure of morals, if they take that away and create anarchy and lawlessness so that they can then rush back in with totalitarianism and save us. That being said then, the denial of biblical commands and morals that shape our laws and our governments and shape our personal responsibilities stand opposed to faith. Look, I'll do it again. I'll name names. I'm going to get in trouble, but I'm already in trouble, right? To defund the police is stupid. You need them. Why do you need them? Because your neighbor is a sinner. That's why you need it. So, so when we take felonies and we make them misdemeanors, and we say you no longer no longer have to uh, pay bail, you can just get out. City of Houston did a Little quick thing here. Uh, last year, they looked at uh, the murders in the last five years. They discovered that 170 murders in Houston were committed by people that were out on bail. <laughs> right. So. So that third point, I picked the I picked the slide that went with it, and you saw the BLM slide. You know, uh, you know what slide I wish I had to put with it, and I just didn't have time to change them. Have you seen the pictures yet of the trains that were robbed in California? Did you say, in America? Did you say, are, are you kidding me? Just, it's just like you, you're driving down there and you pick up your neighbors along the way and say, what are you doing? Hey, we're going to go rob the trains. Let's all go. Nobody gets arrested and you just do it. and well, We can't stop them because they're a mob? And the governor used the word gang and then he had to back up because that's not a good word? Really? Do you understand? This is, a, this is a cosmic war. It's spiritual warfare. Satan and the Lord. These, these aren't political things. I'm not talking about Republican, Democrat. I'm talking about your faith. And if you come to understand that this is an attack on faith so that people won't be saved and come to the saving knowledge of Jesus, you're going to see the whole world differently. The evening news is going to look differently to you. Now, the evidence that these isms, right, and there could be more isms than the three that I've named, the evidence that the isms stand opposed to faith are found in the results of the beliefs when God no longer restrains us. The scripture says God's doing the restraining, right? He's holding us, what is he restraining? He's holding us back from ourselves. He doesn't want you to experience the consequences of your sin because it will destroy your life, not only individually, not only as a family, but as a culture and a community and a nation. So the Holy Spirit in 2 Thessalonians 2 is called the Restrainer. He's doing that work. Now there's a phrase in Romans chapter 1 that should have jumped out at you because it's used three times. It's used first in verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up. It can be translated, he gave them over. He gave them up unto. He delivered them over to. It appears in verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to in verse 28. And since they didn't see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to, up to. He delivered them up to. This is about the judgment of God. Now, here's how the judgment of God works, and this is what most people don't get. How does the judgment of God work? God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He doesn't want you to destroy yourself. He doesn't want you to ruin yourself. He wants you in his creative design, in his redemptive design. He wants you to know an intimate love relationship with himself. Does he have rules for the universe that are called physics? Yes. Does he have spiritual laws? Yes. And so he's got all of these things, including our sexuality. He's got all of these laws. He's trying to prevent you from destroying yourself till you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But when you want it and you beg for it and you clamor for it and you create intellectual reasons for it and you lobby for it and you legislate for it and this is what you want and you want it no matter what, then the scripture says there will come a time and a place where God says, okay, I'll give you what you want. I'll give you what you've been asking for. That's what the phrase means. God gave them up unto. He no longer restrains. And when he gives us what we're asking for, what does it do? It destroys us. It destroys us individually if we choose individually to live outside of God's design. It destroys us as families. It destroys us as cultures. It can destroy us as a nation. And And we can never say, well, God, this was your fault. In fact, the first verse of chapter 2 says, therefore, you have no excuse. It's actually reiterating the last phrase of chapter 1, verse 20. So they are without excuse. Who's going to be able to stand to God and say, God, you... Gave me what I asked for. Huh. And it didn't work out so good, did it? I wasn't always a big Dr. Phil guy, but remember his phrase? How's that working for you? So this morning I'm out of time, but let me ask you this question. When you realize that you're experiencing life Outside of the blessing and the salvation of God, what can you do? I I want you to know that every day, every day in the world, hundreds if not thousands of people realize they are outside the favor of God, the blessing of God, and the salvation of God. Some of them are evolutionary biologists, Some are gay, some are lesbian, some are trans. Some are the guy next door who drinks too much. Some are the guy who's just been chasing money and pleasure. Some of them are people who are devout Marxists and socialists. And those are just a few. Those aren't all of us. But every day, somebody wakes up and realizes, I don't have joy, I don't have peace, I don't have purpose, I don't have direction. I hate my life. I've made these changes that I thought were going to they were going to empower me. They were going to save me and I've got nothing. What do you do? Well, the answer is in some verses right before the verses where I started. Look in verse 16, still in Romans 1. Look at verse 16 and I'm done. Paul says, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Let me just stop and remind you what the gospel it is. God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son and he went to the cross and he died a sacrificial, substitutionary death for you because the wages of sin is death. He went to the cross and he paid for your sins. You say, how do I know that? Because three days later, he rose again. Because he had the power over death, he proves he also has the power over sin and hell and Satan. And the scripture says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. We, we're told we'll, we'll, we'll all cease to be victims when, when we have socialism. We're told you'll, we'll no longer be a victim when we all embrace every kind of sexual identity. We're told we'll, we'll no longer be a victim when we really embrace the evolutionary process. We'll, science will deliver us, but it doesn't. And every day, just as hundreds and thousands give their life to Christ, others take their lives in a depressed suicide because they don't know what to do. The Apostle Paul says, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He says Jew first in Greek, but notice the phrase, everyone who believe. Do you believe that someone who's gay can be saved? Yeah. Can a lesbian be saved? Yeah. Can a Marxist be saved? Uh-huh. Can evolutionary biologists be saved? Yeah. Could I be saved? Uh Uh-huh. Can you be saved? Yeah. How does salvation happen? Still have your Bibles open? For the righteousness of God is revealed, it's given to us, and it comes by faith. That's how it happens. That's how everybody on the planet can be saved. Because you don't have to like go to church, put a certain amount of money in the offering box. You you don't have to like earn some merit badges. You don't have to keep the commandments. You're saved by faith. In fact, it's an interesting phrase. It doesn't say that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. It says from faith for faith. It's from faith to faith. It means the beginning is faith and the end is faith and everything in between is faith. How are you saved? Faith. And then he quotes Habakkuk 2.4. And the righteous shall live by, say it out loud, it's your only chance. Your only chance in this world, and your only chance to get into the next one, which is having eternal life, is faith. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. I'm not finished with the sermon yet. Next week we'll finish. But it's a pretty good stopping place. Because maybe you're here this morning, and if it's just you and I having coffee, you'd say, Paul, I, I don't believe that stuff about creation. That, that, that's crazy stuff. I mean, evolution is a fact. And so I would say to you, why don't you start looking hard at it? Start looking hard at it. Science has superseded uh, 1800 Darwinism. It's blown right past it. And whether we're talking molecular biology or whether we're talking quantum physics or whether we're talking the formation of the universe, it now points to a creator. Maybe you're here and you're struggling with your sexual identity and you you still want to believe what I have to say. And I would say to you, take some time and study it out. There are thousands of people that were trapped in a trick, thinking that if they took another sexual identity, it would be the key to their life, and they've now come to Christ. Nobody talks about them, but they exist all around you people who gave up their promiscuity and their immorality and they found joy and fulfillment in Christ maybe you're here and you're like "Ah, you know you're just talking politics I believe in socialism I believe in Marxism you're just talking politics stop and think what happens after this life Is is all there is this life and then it's all said and done then what does it matter whether it's democracy or socialism because then when you die you die but if there's something more Maybe it's Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you're ready. Today was just the Holy Spirit just putting a icing on the cake and you're ready. The prayer would go something like this. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. And the best that I know how from this day forward, I'll live for you by faith. And the scripture says, whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you did that, no matter what your background, no matter what your former world perspective, you've now come and joined us in this walk of faith. And we do it together. Father, you know every heart, you know every journey that brings us to this moment. You know what you're doing in our lives. And I pray that you would continue to work, that as we look at it, your Holy Spirit would take your word and it would just jump off the pages of our Bible and we would recognize that you have been at work in our lives. First as creator, then as sustainer, then as one who calls us, then as redeemer and hopefully as savior and Lord. And Father, I pray for brothers and sisters in this room that our faith is strengthened, that we might understand that Joshua shall live by faith and we'll change the way we walk and talk and live because our lives to Jesus. This we do in the most precious and holy name of Jesus and all of God's people said Amen. Amen.
0: listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at myemanuel.net.